What is better than having children recite the Word of God? I don't know what's better than that, but um, let's try to keep keep up with them a little bit. So we're into June now, and for today, um, the 7th, I chose a proverb, a verse 1 out of chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Good one. That's a good one. Last week, we started out with this rhetorical question, what do you think is the most important thing about you? And we spent some time in the Word of God finding that the Bible teaches that what you believe about the Bible is the most important characteristic about you. And, you know, people have a lot of thoughts. People got a lot of opinions on all kinds of different subjects. And we talked about how our culture has this growing... Um, 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 it's, it's growing in its, its need to express itself. And we see that in, in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and, and all of those things. Um, and to be sure, our opinions and our views are important because after all, they determine the course that we're going to take off on. And the thing is, though, the, about opinions, everybody's got them. And um, you know, there's this human tendency for us to overvalue our own opinion. In fact, some people feel so strongly about their own opinion as if um, by their own force of will, by their own opinion, they can turn something that isn't necessarily true into truth, which, of course, is not, not possible. A lot of beliefs out there, a lot of opinions about God, um, just you know, lots of opinions floating on the internet and on the TV and, and in our heads, lots and lots of thoughts. People have a lot of thoughts. People have a lot of thoughts. But there are even more important thoughts than all of our thoughts. Even more important than what you think about God is this. What does he think about you? In fact, that's infinitely more important. I mean, what God thinks about us is infinitely more important. The the reason is that one day we're all going to stand before God and our eternity, one at a time, will be determined. Our eternity you know, the, the incredible promise of glory um, for me and for you, it, it, it's, it's only possible by the work of Christ. And, and, and the, the fact that some of us will actually survive the examination and please God and, 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 and be loved by God seems impossible, but it's going to happen. It will happen. Today is the final message in this series, Thrive, because... Um, you know, we've talked about in this series, the Lord wants us to be thriving. He doesn't want us to just survive, and he certainly doesn't want us to unravel in spite of what's going on around us. He wants us to be able to thrive. So we've talked about being transformed, how we're not supposed to be like the world around us, and today that's more true than it's ever been true. And uh, he talked, we've talked about the need for us to worship in spirit and in truth if we want to thrive. And for the last several weeks, we've been exploring the importance of, and the role of God that God's word plays for us to thrive. And our key verse through this series has been Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That person... He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Wow, that's that's God's view. That's God's plan. That's God's desire for you and for me to thrive. That's a great picture. If you believe that the Bible is God's word, 
If you believe that the Bible is something that we can understand and embrace, if, if you believe that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it asserts, if you believe that it, it contains all of the truth needed for human happiness, but you don't regularly tap into it, <laughs> then, then you're like... You know, you're like a guy who is holding the winning lottery ticket and you never go cash it in. Or you're like a person who's been bit by a venomous snake and you've got the syringe full of anti-venom, but you don't use it. <laughs> it makes no sense. The main reason that we're not benefiting from the Bible is not because it's not God's word. It's, it's because we don't pick it up as we should. So today we're going to talk about how to benefit from the Bible. First off, number one, it's so simple, so obvious. We need to pick it up. We need to pick it up. So let's, let's read just past week's, last week's text. And um, it's a short passage that talks about how God views his word. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. They're pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them is great reward." Investing time in God's word uh, brings so much profit. Uh, Psalm 119 is a treasure trove of, of discussion about God's word. Verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart, Lord, so that I won't sin against you. Great one. Um, verse, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And starting in verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And here we go on some comparisons. I'm smarter, I'm wiser than the people who are opposed to me because of your word, God. Next one. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I'm smarter than what I would get from the education system because of the word of God. Let that sink in. That's what that scripture is saying. Verse, verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I'm smarter with people with a lot of life experience because of your word, God. I'm smarter than my enemies. I'm smarter than what the education system can provide for me. I'm smarter than people with life experience, all because of, only because of your word. Love this passage. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Verse 102, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you've taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And Isaiah 40, a passage we've read a couple of times in this, in this series, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. But you can't have God's word if you don't pick it up. <laughs> you got to pick it up. And uh, so there have been some surveys out there, interesting ones. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but 
Um, here's one, Bible use by Americans, and this is talking about our use outside of being in church, because everybody knows that if you come to a Bible teaching church, you're going to get into your Bible in that hour, but outside of church, so we're no counting what's going on in church. Roughly a third of Americans use their Bible regularly, about a third, and two-thirds have almost no interaction with the Bible, almost none. 87% of households um, in the U.S. own a Bible. That's about an average of about three per household. And 35% of Americans never pick up a Bible. Ask yourself, you can take that slide down, ask yourself how many other things you put your hands to this week. <laughs> there was a study done um, uh, by people about our cell phones, <laughs> and so this particular study was done of Android phone users. I'm not going to make any comments about Android versus Apple. This is just, they were the sample group. And uh, these were people that scientifically, they grew, got a group of people and they agreed to be studied. So they handed over their Android phone and the authors of the study put an app in that would measure the use of the phone. Okay, so it was just to, it was a, um, to track their use over a period of time. Of the people that were being tracked, there were some people who used their phones more than others. And of the top 10% of the users of that group that being studied, they averaged 5,427 touches per day. <laughs> 5,000 touches a day. That was, that was 225 minutes a day, 132 sessions. So about a minute and a half every time they decided to touch it, they spent a minute and a half on it. The rest of the study group, the average number of touches per day, 2,617. That's, you know, people, I mean, this, we're talking about, do you have no idea how often you touch your cell phone? Most of us don't. And they went on with a study, and the people were kind of blown out by those numbers. They could hardly believe, I really do it that many times a day? And, um, and, and of those people that they said, here's how much you're using it, 41% said, yeah, that's a lot, but I'm not going to change the way I use my phone. <laughs> we know we're using it. 87% of the study group touched or woke up their phone at least once between midnight and 5 a.m. We got some times, we have some time available to do some things. Ask yourself, how many times do you put your hands on different things this week? You know, you got to pick up the Bible. You got to pick it up. The survey of Christians for, for why they don't pick up their Bible, here were the top four answers from this survey, why I don't read the Bible. Number four, we're going to work our way up to number one. Number four, it's not interesting. Well, actually, I find the Bible incredibly interesting, personally, and very, very compelling. Um, our appetites are conditioned by what we eat. Do you know that? It's like, um, you know... Some people would recoil at the idea of sitting down and eating a large bag of M&Ms in one sitting. They would recoil at that thought. Others would say, you know, is there another bag available? <laughs> the more you read God's word, the more you'll have an appetite for it. The less you read God's word, the less you're going to want to be in it. And then you can come to a place where you don't even hunger for the word of God at all. But as you get into it, and as you feed on it, you're going to find that you can't wait to get into it again and again and again. And, and appetite, our, appetites are, our appetites are conditioned by what we feed them. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. 
And um, that's an old saying. I don't know, really know where it came from. Okay, why I don't read the Bible? Reason number three, I forget. I plan to do it. When I go home from church, I've, I've, we've been into it, and I think, boy, I should get in my Bible more, but then I forget. I think, you know, okay, so my comment about that, I don't want to be overly um, <laughs> snide or anything, but most of us own or have access to an alarm. I mean, if I touch my phone, I know there's an alarm in there somewhere. Um, and, and, and time is a factor. It really is. We get busy. I mean, I, 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 here's a challenge for you. Take your phone. You can do it right now if you want to. I wouldn't normally encourage you to play with your phone during the message, but um, if, if the reason you're doing it is to set yourself an alarm, if you were to set yourself an alarm for some time of your choice for in the morning, that if you were to set it and actually get up and use it and spend 15 minutes, just 15 minutes for God's Word, you do it on 15 minutes on Monday, 15 on Tuesday, 15 on Wednesday, um, to get up and spend some time in God's Word, if you do this, you'll be glad. If you do that, things will be different for you. I promise they will. Okay. Reasons people give for not reading the Bible. It's not interesting. I forget. Number two, I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. You know, the Bible can kind of be like math. Um, Maybe you like math and then that probably you paid attention in math class in school and um, for some of us, we didn't like math, and we weren't all that good at it, and it's because we were goofing off during the math class. And the problem is that um, you know, if if you only learned half of your math in ninth grade, and then you go to tenth grade, and you only learn half of it in tenth grade, and then you go to eleventh grade, and only learn, it's pretty hard to catch up after that. And so here's the thing: there's lots of ways to study the Bible. If you jump in at the wrong place, it could be harder than other places. And I think a lot of people, the place that you would start is at the beginning. Start in Genesis. Genesis isn't really the beginning. Genesis is more like 10th grade math, if we, in our analogy. I would suggest this, if you are new to reading the Bible, start in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. The Gospel of John. That's really the beginning of knowing God's Word, I think, the Gospel of John. And I, I told a lot of people this over the years, that that's a good place for them to start. Read, read, read the Gospel of John every day. Spend 10 or 15 minutes in it every day. And if do that for 30 days in a row. I promise you that the Lord will capture your heart and be speaking to you. Um, you know, you pr- start those, start those up. Lord, start with a prayer. Lord, show yourself to me. Help me to understand what it is you want me to capture in this. And the Lord will show up. I promise you that. I promise he will. So if you don't understand the Bible, you don't need to be put off or pushed backwards by that. Um, you don't need to worry about the Bible. The Bible is fully capable of, of, of the Lord. The Lord has promised that his word will accomplish in you what he plans for it to do if you give him access to it. So um, it, it, start in the Gospel of John, and while you're in there, go ahead and underline your thoughts and your questions, and, and it's a good place for... The Lord's going to speak to you. The Lord will speak to you, and he'll go after you. Okay, and the top reason I don't read my Bible, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. The thing is that we're really never too busy to do the things that we want to do the most. It's kind of a value statement. You know, if, if, uh, if I don't read the Bible because I'm too busy, it reveals that I don't value the Bible for what it really is, which is God's Word. You know, maybe we've, or maybe we've tried to access its benefits and its blessings, but we really didn't understand how to go about in God's principles, and, and so we've given up. Okay, so okay, so we got to pick it up. The, to benefit from the Bible, after you pick it up, the thing you have to do is scope it out. 
We've got to figure this thing out as best we can. So I'm going to go through eight passages and, talk and, and, and see what God himself says about his word. Okay, so first one, God's word is a fire. God's word is fire. We're going to pick this up in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts. Now, the Lord's having this conversation. He says, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Now, before you go off on me, this is not the Lord saying that you're going to call down fire and burn people up. That's not what's going on here at all. This is a good thing. This is awesome. This is the Lord's telling you that, 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 that what's going to happen. So here's the deal. I mean, we tend to think of fire as a um, useful thing. We do. It's how we cook our s'mores. It's pretty important to have a campfire. Um, California has these wildfires. I, mean, I think of California as a good example because when they have a wildfire, it's nuts. Um, in, in summer of 2017, I looked this up. Um, wildfires that summer, 1,089,736 acres were burned up. $3.3 billion in damages, 43 fatalities. So fire can just like, you know, it can consume everything in its path. And when God says his word is a fire, he's saying that the word of God consumes everything in its path. It, it, it removes all the dross. It, 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 it cuts through everything that's useless. It, 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 everything that's in it, it blows past the barriers. So God's saying, I'm going to make my word a fire. So when you share my word, when God tells us that when we share his word with other people, he's going to make it into the equivalent of fire. It's going to go right past the barriers and it's going to get where it needs to go. I think about, you know, I wonder how many people listening today, me included, could say, you know, I used to think something and then God's word just kind of burned away the nonsense and, uh, in my thinking. He just, just, just did that. And I was reduced to, oh, okay, I get it, God. Um, I get it. Word of God burns away the foolishness. It burns away the nonsense in my thinking. And, and, and I, I get to this place where it's thus says the Lord. Okay. Now we're going to jump over to the New Testament. So, okay, the word says it's a sword. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow, living there means it's not that complicated. It means not dead. It means it's alive. It means it's not just this inanimate object. There's something churning and going on in God's word. And the New King James translates that word um, active as powerful. It shows up as powerful. It's living, the word of God is living and powerful. Powerful enough to expose sin. It's, it's powerful enough to, enough to convict us. It's powerful enough to, to motivate us to change. And all of the swords that have ever existed in human history, the Bible is, metaphorically speaking, sharper, sharper. I think if you were in a battle, you'd want a very, very sharp sword. Why? Well, the sharper the sword, the deeper the penetration. You know, that's the point. God's word is so sharp that it never fails to talk to the heart of the matter. It goes right to the place it's supposed to go. And the Holy Spirit just kind of puts it into that place. 
You know, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing, the Word of God gets right where it needs to be. So, you know, often in church, somebody's teaching the Word of God, and um, someone who's listening is thinking, well, how did they know that? The answer to that is they did not know it. They didn't know it. But the Word of God is cutting to the heart of the situation, and the Holy Spirit is just kind of very gently tough pushing it in there. You know, the Word of God is a fire. It's a sword. Number three, it's a hammer. (laughs) Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I've had people say to me after church before, man, I, 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 was, I, was, <laughs> I was being hammered in that, that service. And I'm thinking, awesome, great. You know, not that they were being crushed, not because, you know, but, but, but the word of God is like a very, very precise hammer. And, you know, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have been at times that person with a stubborn or a hard heart and uh, hard for God to get to. And, you know, when our heart becomes hard, the Lord loves us so much that he's not willing to let our hearts stay there. You know, it's like, you know, a God broke a really hard rock today. You know, it's exactly what it's like. Or it's like, well, that, that really, really hurt. My heart is crushed, but it's so good. And I would never want to not have that done. I'm so grateful that the Lord broke that off of me. You know, I've heard prominent leaders in the body of Christ online, probably maybe even some that you've listened to. I'm not going to name any names because that's not my role. Love, is, love covers here, right? But, but I've heard them say to pastors, stop telling your congregations, the Bible says... And the reason for that request, um, I, under, I get it, is that, that a lot of people out there don't accept the Bible as an authority. Um, but I, I don't think it really matters whether people accept the Bible as an authority because you know, God's saying, my word's like a hammer, and it breaks the rock in pieces. You know, God doesn't need you and me to grant permission for his word to get to our heart. You know, God can pin you, pin your heart anytime he wants to, and he doesn't you and me to be okay with it first. We actually believe here that, that God, God's word doesn't need our permission to take hold of us. We believe that God himself backs his word and that uh, the word is persuasive within the hearts of, of, of hard-hearted people. And even when they don't see it coming, that God can do that. Okay, fire, sword, hammer. Next one is a seed. God's word is a seed. That's equally powerful, but it's way more gentle. The seed is so gentle. First Peter, starting in verse 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. There it was in verse 23, imperishable seed. The the idea of a seed was one of Jesus, probably was his favorite analogy for the word of God. For example, Matthew chapter 13 so here's Jesus giving, sharing this parable. This is Jesus speaking. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, 
and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then later, um, with, he was with the disciples. He explains this parable to them in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution comes on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of God is seed. And for some of you, that's the whole reason you're listening today, right now, the seed. I, I think it's important for us to train ourselves. So I, I encourage you to train yourself to listen each, each week in the message for what the Lord is seeding in you. you know? And within the message each week, there will often be things that you already have. You've already got those things. And uh, I, 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 would, I, I think sometimes people, I've heard the phrase, well, you know, um, it didn't speak to me. Well, there was something there if you were available to it. Anytime someone is actually sharing God's word, you know, that's the thing about preaching God's word. It, it, it's, not, it's not dependent upon the skills of the speaker. The worst speaker in the world, all he has to do is read God's word and it, it will be effective. People will listen better with some skill, but um, this is really the Lord's responsibility to let his word go and do its thing. And so there's a seed in there for you. But sometimes the seed that's going to be there for you isn't for you to apply in your life. You're already doing that. Well, then why do I need that seed? Here's the reason. The Lord sometimes is casting seed for you to capture and carry. And then later sometime, the next day or two, or maybe a week or a month, who knows when, the Lord is going to put someone into your path. And that will be the moment for the Lord to, the Lord will have planned that for you to take that seed and gently put it in to the best soil you can find. And you're to plant that seed in someone else. It's been entrusted to you. You just gently put the truth in there. And um, you, you, the, the principle of God's, you know, the, God's principles somewhere into that person's life. And the Lord wants to use you to bless them. And the seed is all you need. Seed's small, but it's very, very, very powerful. Now, a couple of things to notice about that seed. First off, it takes time. It takes time. You know, you water, you watch, you wait. You water, you watch, you wait. You water, you watch, and you wait. Be patient. You know, God does everything else. 
If you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it, is the point there, right? But you don't plant it in May and then immediately run on the 1st of June and kick the soil over because you want to see, hey, is it coming up? No, that, that would ruin it. You know, I wonder how it's doing. You know, don't do that. Don't, that, that. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. God's the one at work now. Only God can bring the harvest. The seed, it starts small, it takes time, and it will produce fruit. I think um, that Crossroads should always be a nursery. I don't mean where we take the babies. I mean where we have the babies. There should always be seeds germinating in the seats in some of the people. And then even in the most mature among us, there should be some new seeds germinating all the time. There should be um, some producing something new and something miraculous, and the Lord should be at work. And I want to tell you, that is happening. I hear those testimonies all the time. Pretty cool things. Okay, fire, sword, hammer, seed. Next one, milk. First Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. We got grandkids, and um, we love our grandkids as you do yours. And sometimes they come and stay with us. But when there are new grandkids, they don't come and stay with us for a while. For, the reason is they got to stay closer to mom. The analogy here is obvious. They, they need to stay close to mom. And, um, and I think sometimes as Christ followers, we forget and we live sometimes malnourished in our lives. It's like we're spiritually impoverished. We're, we're, we're starving our souls for the word of God. And then we're wondering, you know, why is everything so thin? Why is everything so under, under-resourced? You know, and, and there's no faith and there's no strength. Yet we don't do the math and add it up and say, you know, I'm starving. I'm starving my soul. I'm not taking in the milk of God's word. We would never intentionally leave a crying, hungry baby and act as if we didn't notice that it was starving. We wouldn't do that. But the word of God draws this analogy for really good reasons. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. You know, here's the thing. The younger you are in your faith, the more you need it. It's not a matter of time because you're only young once. The thing is that that you can be immature for your entire life. God's word is specifically designed to help you address the things that you face in life. But you can't, um, you know, if you're in a place where you can't call to mind any scripture that would help address what you're facing in life, that's a sign telling you, you need to get into the pure milk of the word of God regularly and consistently. I would say daily until you grow to the place as a son or a daughter that when you face things in life, there is something of scripture that bubbles up in your soul. You may not be able to quote the chapter and verse. That's okay. But if you can quote in your soul to yourself God's principle and maybe the verse itself, that's the sign that you've been taking in the milk and you're growing in your maturity. You know, and the, the, okay, so if you can't get to that too, we see, see this discussed in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, says this. For though by this time, the whole book of Hebrews is, is, is to people who have come to faith, but they've not become mature. Okay, so this is what's going on. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
Okay, how many people in the body of Christ should be teaching the word of God to other people right now? I think a lot of us. Okay, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Oracles of God means scriptures, the revelations. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk... (laughs) This is where I want to say, God forgive the pulpits of America. Milk, 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 milk. Filled with felt needs. Filled with, you know, fuzzy this and fuzzy that. Forgive us, Lord. Um, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. You know, why is he always wandering off like this? Why is she always going off on these tangents? Why are they always so vulnerable? What, you know, why are they always fiddling around with their symptoms and not dealing with the root problems? Because they're living on milk at best when they're feeding at all. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay, so it's a fire, sword, hammer, seed, milk, and meat. Now, this is not a point for you to bring up um, vegetarianism or veganism. That's not what this is teaching. Um, if you, if you want to have... This is, this is talking about substance versus simplicity. If you want to talk about those things, that's what Coffee with Crossroads is for. Have fun with that, Pastor Seth. <laughs> but this is talking about substance versus simplicity. You know, we start with simplicity and then we mature into substance. Okay, next one, number seven. It's light. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're, we're almost done. Um, little history. The Protestant Reformation, um, which was towards the end of the Middle Ages, um, you know, all of Europe was kind of ablaze with, with frustration of, of the fact that the church was serving itself. There were a lot of frustration. And every doctrine, doctrine of the church, which by then was known as the Roman church, um, was another way to fill the coffers. You know, Pay the church this month much to get your person out of this place where they're stuck between heaven and hell called purgatory. Or pay the church this much to have this candle lit or to have, have, uh, get this sin forgiven or this or that. It's terrible. This was terrible. And people began to read the Bible themselves and the church didn't like that. For the, then they said, you sh- the people shouldn't be reading the Bible and they were reading it anyway. So the church said, okay, we're going to use Latin. They did what they could to keep God's word away from people. That's terrible things. And um, Martin Luther was reading through the book of Galatians and he came upon this phrase, the just shall live by faith. Now he's reading in Galatians, which is actually the author of Galatians is quoting Habakkuk too. The just shall live by faith. And he's thinking, well, that's pretty simple. No sacraments, no, no, no special rules, no extra add-ons, just God's word. The just shall live by faith. So he wrote this list down of things that he thought the church was completely sideways on, and he nailed them to the church door, and it became like a fight to the death, literally for, for some people. And the, the whole point here is, we've talked about this phrase, sola scriptura, just God's word. Don't add a bunch of stuff to it. Don't tell me your new rules. Don't, don't, don't add to what Jesus is asking for. The, 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 just, just, just God's word. The Bible is all of the light. Just don't add to it. 
Just don't hide it. It's light. It is written. It is written. You know, only what it says. Nothing more than what it says. Nothing less than what it says. Just what it says. Okay, fire, sword, hammer, seed, milk, meat, light. And the last one, mirror. Of course, we understand that people who are truly saved will bear some fruit. If there's no fruit, okay, here we go, James chapter 1. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. I can tell you firsthand, it's not a lot of fun to be the mirror guy. <laughs> Where you hold up a mirror and say, you know, of God's word to people. But what's at stake here for is for us to have authentic relationship with each other. Not between me and you, but between us, each other. You know, when we show each other the truth of what God's word would say about who we are and, you know, from the word of God, it's, it's even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when we see things that we really don't like seeing, that's what living in the light means. Things that thrive in the dark will die in the light. And that's a good thing. So we got to pick it up. we got to scope it out. And the last part of this is we got to take it in. Whether it's milk or solid food, we got to consume it. So I'm going to pray. I want you to thrive. The Lord wants you to thrive. We want each other to thrive. And that's where this series has, has, has led us. I hope you embrace the things that the Lord is speaking this series was birthed with the purpose of leading us to a point of thriving without respect to the circumstances around us. Let's pray. God, thank you that your heart for us is to thrive and that, Lord, your word speaks to us so clearly about the pathway to thriving. And it's not in our works, but it's more about us trusting you. We've seen these scriptures that talk about it. Lord, somehow, cause those not to be, be cataloged in the library of our minds, but instead let them be woven into the fabric of who we are. I pray, Lord, for people today who, who face circumstances, sometimes not of our doing, sometimes maybe the result of our doing, but we face circumstances and we feel like we're facing a wall or a mountain that we cannot get over. Lord, would you lead us? Would you just lead us? Even if it's just a simple step at a time, lead us to the light, Lord, we pray. I pray, Lord, for life, and I pray, Lord, for, for, for health. I pray, Lord, for, for people who, who you, your word says that if, if we seek you, we will find you. I pray, God, for people to find you today. And I thank you for your response to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I got two more things to, to do. They'll be brief. One, I, I'm, one I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about what's going on right now in culture. I'll just take a minute on that. And the second one is um, something real important I want you to, to stay for. It's a video of, of, of a worship, couple of worship songs. And um, I, I think the Lord wants to massage something into our soul through that. So um, let me just take a minute and talk about what's going on. I, I, I think if you had asked me a week or two, I could not picture anything that was going to push coronavirus off of the front page of the news. I, I couldn't even picture it, but that's happened. Something terrible has now been eclipsed by something that's even worse. 
And, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking, of course, here about all that's happened with, um, with George Floyd and with the protests that have turned into to riots and, and hearts are, are being torn. And, um, you know, here's the thing, that there, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of um, ideas about how to fix it. And some of those ideas are, you got to go north. And the other people with ideas say, you got to go south and every other point on the compass. And it's not a dialogue anymore. It's like a war. And people are choosing up sides. And you're either for me or you're against me. And if you don't agree with me, you're against me. And, and people are now turning against people. I, I think I, I was probably most heartbroken when I was looking at church websites. And I saw comments on one church's website. They had, a, I think it might have been on a Facebook page or something, where um, people were sharing their opinions and it became vitriolic. People within the church were literally at each other's throats. Heartbreaking. It's going to take the Lord's intervention to fix this broken world. I think the world has two areas of problems. We have the results, the fruit of sin. That's a factor, and as human beings, we should do what we can to to correct that and to help the, the hurt and the wounded. Mankind has always tried to do that. We've had middling success at that. A lot of times we fail at that. But we can try and we should. The other thing is this. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But Scripture says that we wrestle with principalities, rulers of darkness, powers in high places. And um, this it's spiritual wickedness, the word describes it. This is something that can only be resolved by the king. I'm not going to make any political comments about this. I don't think this is right for me to do that. Um, In fact, it's a pet peeve of mine when I watch people who make their living pretending to be someone that they're not believe that success in the entertainment industry would somehow qualify them to be experts in how the world should run itself. And um, I do have opinions. They're private. If you want to know how I feel, come and ask me. But that's not my role standing behind this pulpit. My role here is to, to share the word of God and share something of hope. And I'm full of hope. I believe that the Lord will lead us through this. And um, I, just, I just think that we need to act differently and react differently than we see going on around us. We're not called to be, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? So I want to encourage you to think this through. Jesus tells us that as much as it is possible concerning you, to live with peace, live at peace with all men. As much as you can for your side of it, you should live at peace with all men. And I love the passage from Philippians 2 that says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you are presently hurt and wounded by what you're watching, I, I, I am too, And there are others who are hurt and wounded deeper than I am. I understand that. And for my own place in this, when I have the opportunities to do right and to be righteous, I I want to do that. And sometimes I don't get it right. And that's probably true of you too. Your hearts are right and you want to be right and righteous. Be that as best you can. We're called to be salt and light and to care for each other. So that's the the extent of the comments that you're going to hear from me or from the church on this topic for now. Okay, now let's move on to the other thing. Um, Last Sunday night, Foursquare 
Um, we would normally do this at a convention. We would pray over and anoint our newly elected president of the denomination. This is a very important position. He's, he's our spiritual covering, and he leads us. His name is Randy Remington, godly man. And so last Sunday, because we couldn't gather it for a convention, it was a big, giant um, Zoom call. I don't have a lot of people on it, thousands of pastors. And, um, and within that one-hour meeting, there were two worship songs, one at the beginning and one at the end. And they were, they were worship songs being led by worship pastors of Foursquare churches from around the country, 40 different worship pastors. And um, it, was, it so moved me, and it built my soul to hear these two worship songs that I decided that you should hear these, and I hope that these will lift you up for the coming week. My prayer for you now, um, because this will conclude our service, my prayer for you now is that if you let the ministry of the words and the tone and the heart of these songs carry you to the throne room, that you'll experience something of hope too. God bless you, and we'll see you next week, 10 a.m.
Be gracious to you, the Lord. 
Stop. 